The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, Jay and Keith show. It is ETSU. It is Western Carolina on the gridiron. ETSU men's basketball in a tournament over in Asheville. They'll get a first look at the Asheville Harris Cherokee Civic Center thingy, whatever the heck that thing's called. Between that and the Blue Ridge Battle Border, Border Battle, whatever that is, too. Rubber baby buggy bumper. Adds a lot of, lot of, lot of alliteration. And I know that was one thing that uh, a one Michael Gallagher was a big fan of was alliteration. The one thing Jay Santos is not a fan of is a lot of words in which we know he cannot speak them. So, that being said, big show, big week in the Southern Conference, big week around FCS playoff uh, implications all over the place. So, a lot to talk about. We'll give you our pick six. We'll give you our bold predictions where I'm rocking and rolling right now. Although I have none written down because, you know, it's just been a rough week uh, preparing for a couple of basketball and football, but nobody cares about the trial and tribulations of Jay Sandoz. We love to hear about the trial and tribulations of Keith Brake and what is going on with his move. Uh, it's going great. Uh, we, we have ordered a king-sized bed. So the first time in my life I'm actually going to sleep on a king at home. Normally, I, Traditionally, it's been a full or a queen, but we're still on an air mattress for another week, so got to get that figured out just long like being back in college abs uh man i slept on a cot for like a week in college and i just couldn't i couldn't handle it i just godspeed to all those tough kids up at vmi um but it was uh yeah it's, it's going away it's going well it's going well we were picking out a what got a washer dryer i think we got that line adulting up. is hard it is and expensive it's expensive it is um i can concur but this is you know, like it's it's stuff that you need, right? For for the lives that we are used to living, so you go get it because that's that's what you got to do. Yep, and you got to work a ball game Saturday. I do, I do. I uh, got family coming up for it. Uh, excited for the Blue Ridge Border Battle, the Argyle Gargoyle Rubber Baby Buggy Bumper. Looking forward to that. Um, going to see. I think we're going to do the symphony on Saturday night after the game. So that'll be fun. Not me and you, we. No, not okay. me. Not me and you. No. Because that, that was news to me that I was. Me as in my not. family. If you want to go to the symphony, no, I'd not. love to see you there. I do not. Oh, you sure? It's, it's a good time. No, I did buy the uh, season pass, the Broadway shows at the Martin Center, oh, so I, yeah. I do have that. So I'll, I will be going to those. There's one I cannot make due to basketball's out of town, so my wife will have to take either our daughter or mother or friend or other. Whoever. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure my fiance would love to go. Let's let's we, we can make that happen. Talk talk amongst the, ourselves the, later. the broadcaster wives club. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. It's more a support group. <laughs> is that not is that not what that is? Rather, rather it's us being uh, us being the weird guys that we are because that's what all broadcasters are, mm -hmm. or just the crazy hours, nights, weekends, things that come up. It's like Ryan Reynolds talked about yesterday. It's like we it's, it's the Sugar Mama Club, right? They finance our habit. Yes. They finance our bad habit of broadcasting sports. And then, when, it, it, then when it gets bad enough, when we get out of the business, you'll know it wasn't our choice. It was, we, we had to make a choice because <laughs> Sugar Mama was moving on. 
All right, speaking of moving on, this conversation, let's go to ETSU Western Carolina as uh, that was six minutes of uh, nothingness. Of your life that you'll never get back. No, man, hey, you know what? We talk life here. Happy talk is happy talk is happy talk. It's good talk. I think it connects us to our audience and humanizes us. You want to talk about football? Let's talk about football. I do because the one thing I was just – I knew one thing was for sure and Mm -hmm. one thing I had thought was for sure Mm – that I did look up and was confirmed. What if I told you the last time an ETSU quarterback threw for over 100 yards against Western Carolina was 2018? I would believe you because I looked up last year's box score and I was like, oh, that's different. ETSU ran for, was it 481 last year? Two 200-yard rushers. One that broke the school record. Absolutely. Both running backs had three rushing touchdowns. Uh, Sailors had over 327 yards of all-purpose yards. Uh, that led me to the. That's what I thought was correct, but I didn't want to speak yep. that until I went and looked it up. The one thing I knew was correct, but was also egregiously more than what I thought it was. I thought Sailors was averaging nine yards a carry for his career versus Western Carolina in 46 carries. Oh no, that's a good sample size. He's averaging 11.4 yards a touch. 11. Is that all? And is 40, that all? It's one thing if you're like, hey, uh, he has eight career carries and he averages 11 yards. Okay. Mm-hmm. that We've mm-hmm. seen that. Just whatever. And he missed a game. That's yep. what's crazy. He yeah. has 600 and something yards. He's averaging 227 all purpose when you include. He only has 30 yards receiving. So it is 80% rushing. There's some kick return yards in there. But only one reception, 30 yards. He mm-hmm. missed a 2019 game in which Quay Holmes at that time I think broke the single-game record for most carries because they literally just said Quay left, Quay right, ETSU lost that game in overtime. The last couple years they've won the game because they've had Gaudy almost 500 yards rushing. had over 400 in both those. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it makes sense why the quarterback numbers aren't particularly that great, especially when you've won two of the three games and the one you did lose was overtime. That being said, they've been very competitive and not having to throw the football. Now, this is a different animal, but as we learned two, almost what said last week, two weeks ago, Jacob Sailors is more than happy to carry the load. And there are always, I talk about this all the time, and people I know hate me, it's about matchups. And sometimes there's a better matchup. Sometimes there is something about a team or a scheme that fits whatever, and whatever it is. Jacob Sailors, no matter who the defense coordinator is at Western Carolina, they've had a hard time trying to solve that riddle. Now, they, being West Carolina, has to 1,000% commit to stopping him, even though I think the offense has been gaudy the last three or four weeks, and or at least two and a half weeks, really since VMI. Mm-hmm. Since Adam Neugebauer has gone to the booth, the offense has really taken off. Things are starting to click. He has seen the field better, calling better plays. The team is grasping what he wants to do because now they're eight, nine, ten games into it. Mm-hmm. So they're much better than the first five, six games. All of that seems to work in the advantage, so I think it makes ETSU dangerous. But it would be hard not to have a game plan to say, hey, Jacob, here's the ball left, here's the ball right. It would be. And you know Western Carolina is aware of that. They are acutely aware that ETSU has run the ball with great effect against them the last couple of years. And as a result of that, you would expect them to commit to stopping the run. Now, it's important to acknowledge that this team is pretty beat up 
in its front seven. Now, the, the, the defensive line, they're good. They're young, but they're good. K.J. Milner, really, really good. He really is good. Um, you know, Marlon Alexander, Jaquarius Gwynn, they're all right. Micah Nelson's good on the other edge. Um, their interior is a unit that's going to have to take a big step forward. And also, they have been a little bit banged up this year at linebacker. You know, uh, they've had to throw Ed Jones in there maybe a little bit more than they would have wanted. Uh, Samari Dukes has been involved as the nickel uh, more than they're on their fourth different nickel back. Their fourth this season because they've had some injuries on the back end and and in the middle of the defense in the second level of the defense that they've had to uh, adjust through. So that is a challenge for them. And I think the challenge here is let's stop sailors. Let's commit however we have to commit in the box to stop Jacob Sailors on first down, to stop Jacob Sailors on second down so that we can get after the quarterback with Milner and Nelson on third down. And EJ Porter as well, who they like to blitz a lot. Uh, that, that would be the group that I would look at and say, this is how we try to stop ETSU. The challenge is that they've not done that. They didn't do it last year under Kerwin Bell. This year, how do they do it when they are still a little banged up over the course of a full football season? And ETSU is fresh coming off the bye. Guys have talked about it. Max Evans talked about it on the, the defensive side. Noah West talked about it earlier in the week as well. Uh, I talked to Joe Schreiber about it, uh, the center for ETSU. They all feel pretty good. Like Everybody feels like they got, they got a little bit more uh, uh, hitch in their giddy-up, so to speak. And they're going to attack this week with a lot of energy. So how does a Western team that uh, is far removed from its idle period where it was able to get that recovery time, um, how do they handle a team that is fresh coming off the bye? A lot of times that can tip the scales in a game. I wonder if it doesn't tip the scales here. I, I mean, I think the interesting thing is dynamically offensively, if ETSU gets gaudy numbers on the ground, gaudy numbers scoring-wise, last couple weeks hasn't mattered because the defense, has, who has been decimated at certain positions, um, again, Stephen Scott's been practicing, game-time decision. That changes things dramatically. Mm -hmm. ETSU is also getting a little thinner in some depth because they desperately want to think about the future. And some guys have played the four-game minimum to be redshirted, so – they don't want to try to burn a year for just this game against Western Carolina or Mississippi State moving forward. So that changes sort of the math on, on how things would go because, you know, they give you the four games. And this is always some of those where they set a few guys early and try to have them available late four games. Yep. And they played a few guys earlier because they were more ready to play, get the four games, and then sit them out. Mm -hmm. Now, again, you can't project how injuries and other things have played out. So I think that's the – that's the biggest issue. Can ETSU's defense slow down an offense, which is the best in the league if you look at numbers, 500 yards, uh, 506 or something like that total mm -hmm. offense, almost 200 yards rushing, over 300 yards passing. It's 313 to 192. And the one knock on them, one, the penalties have killed drives. Yes. Two is turnovers, 22 turnovers. They are minus 13 in a turnover margin. Mm -hmm. They do 
if they get 100 yards of penalties, which they're almost averaging, and you give away two to three turnovers in this game, it's pretty simple to see because they're very dynamic at moving the football. Mm -hmm. This is a matchup where two teams that are the worst in turning the ball over in the red zone. Five times, I believe, for Western, four for ETSU. If a team doesn't turn the ball over in the red zone and a team can take care of the football, and these are, I think, the top two or three, uh, Western's the top penalized team yardage-wise. ETSU's like second or third. So whichever team can, uh, to oversimplify, whichever team can slow down the run because West Carolina has now proven to have a run game, so it's not just over the top, although that is their bread and butter. If each team could slow down a run game and make the other team a little more one-dimensional, who doesn't turn the ball over? And right now, ETSU is still plus for the year. They've not turned anybody over the last two weeks, but they're still plus on the season. Where, again, Western's minus 13, and both teams have a lot of penalties. Maybe a team cleans up the penalties. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't turn it over. Maybe they score more in the red zone. I mean, I think it's a simple game. Keith, there's your four keys. Well, maybe the flags just don't get thrown. I mean, to, to a degree, penalties aren't something that you can control. Things like holding, uh, pass interference are subjective outside of what you can control. And I talked to Kerwin Bell about this uh, earlier today. And I asked him, like, how do you feel about you know the penalties that your group has racked up? Because you're by far the most penalized team in the conference. And he said, it depends on the kind of penalties we get. If we're getting pre-snap penalties, procedural penalties, those are the things that I'm going to get mad about. But if you get called for a hold because you know, you're know you playing hard and doing everything you can to make a play work, you get called for a push-off, you get called for this, that, I'm not as bothered by that because that is the consequence of our philosophy. And their philosophy is to live on the edge play on the edge all the time. They play aggressively on both sides of the ball. He said it best. Um, if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to, I'm not going to have held anything back as a, it's, it won't be because I held back. Uh, we are, we, if we go down, we go down swinging and you see that in their offensive philosophy. And I think you see it a little bit in their defensive philosophy as well is they are constantly trying to create negative plays. They don't, really necessarily care that much what you're trying to do. Uh, They want to force their way through and disrupt it. They want to create TFLs. They want to create turnovers. uh, And on offense, they want to be aggressive. They want to take their shots. If you're not giving it to them, if you're playing that three high safety look and you're trying to make them drive the field, the, the talk is from Kerwin, from Cade Bell, the offensive coordinator, the talk is we're okay with that. In practice, it does seem like this team gets a little bit frustrated when they are asked to drive the field a little bit more. Uh, But Carlos Davis has the arm to push it downfield. Raphael Williams and Sincere Lee, who's been a sensational freshman for them, have the ability to burn teams down the field and win battles along the sidelines and get themselves open and hit those big home runs. You go back and watch the Charleston Southern game. Uh, You watch uh, some of their other games from earlier in the year, and they can sling it. You know they can sling it. You know they can beat you over the top. This is the most explosive offense, maybe in the entire SoCon. You say that, well, Keith, they're four and five. Well, yeah, uh, because they've had two teams that executed fantastic defensive game plans against them in Sanford and Mercer. But when this team scores more than 21 points, when they score 22 or more, they are 4-1 and one this year. And they do that by hitting explosive plays. 
and they have an offense that's designed to create those explosive plays basically every time they line up. So that's going to be a major challenge. And of course, you might luck into a situation where, okay, they throw a block in the back that negates a touchdown. That's not the kind of penalty that Kerwin Bell is going to tolerate. But at the same time, um, you might need a little bit of that to separate from this Western Carolina team that is firing on or expects to be able to fire on all cylinders uh, with Davis at quarterback and and actually 100% or close to 100% healthy um, and being able to execute their entire offense. The interesting thing when you watch the offense go for Western Carolina, almost every single route combination, there is somebody going deep. Absolutely. And yeah. the stress that puts on it. That's not always the design. You know, sometimes it's a decoy. Sometimes it's to open up something else. Sometimes it's just to see, hey, are you going to keep running with him on the 80 plays that we run on offense? Very rarely do you see Western Carolina have four guys do a little stick route or a couple smash combinations on each side or the old school curl flats. It is basically some dude's going to run as fast as he can down the heart of the defense or down the sideline, and we're going to see if you can guard it. Matter of fact, first play of the game last year, they missed a throw over the top with Rogan Wells that would have been a first play touchdown, and it cost Western Carolina because they end up fumbling, and then ETSU on the very next play got a Jacob Saylor's touchdown. So, uh, it it's a situation where, for the secondary of ETSU that hopefully is fresher, they've got some things going. Will they be able to constantly take the big play away, which has been tough to do? Three receivers have touchdown catches of over 70 yards for Western Carolina. I think they've got nine plays over 50. It's just incredible. But having three guys with 70 or more yards on a touchdown catch is absurd. You don't see that in a whole lot of places. So the stress is going to be, can ETSU be able to not give up the big home run balls, make them kind of work for it down the field? And that's really where Carlos Davis – I think gets a little bit of trouble. Can the fresh legs of ETSU not necessarily sack the quarterback because Carlos Davis, although he can run with the football, chooses usually to throw the football. And where he gets in trouble is where he tries to make a play outside the pocket. And that's where some of his throws have gone awry, either floating or back across the field, which you shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Missing a guy, trying to make a play. Now, he will tuck and run, but he tends to look to throw the ball more that's where he gets in trouble. This will be the one game, unless Carlos Davis decides to tuck and run every time, this will be the one game if he gets outside the pocket, it could work in your favor because he tends to turn the ball over in those situations. And if Gonzalez gets in, his problem is sometimes he just makes bad throws or bad reads. Yeah. But for Davis, if he sits, throws in rhythm, able to chunk it down the field, some sideline routes, very good. When he's mobile and moving, that's where he tends to make a little bit of his mistakes. Every once in a while, he does try to force – a ball where it shouldn't probably be forced into. But for the most part, most of his interceptions, 12 or 13 or whatever it's been, he's thrown on the year, he's been on the move when throwing the football. So I think it's important for ETSU to make sure that they get him uncomfortable. Don't have to sack him. I love sacks. Not mm-hmm. seen that in a while. But if they could pressure him and get him outside the pocket to try to make a play, that's where I think maybe ETSU could force one of those mistakes. I would be inclined to agree. I do think if you can force a couple mistakes out of them because – they are aggressive. They will take chances. They live the, to put to put it a different way, they live the Miss Frizzle life 
on offense. Take chances, make mistakes, get messy. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes it's going to be messy. But in the end, you will be rewarded for it because it's only through being aggressive, only through taking chances that you get the reward of big point totals over the course of a football game. That's how that philosophy is built. They will take chances and they will make mistakes. And if teams make them pay for those mistakes, it creates challenges for them. But they believe that they can get out from under their mistakes by continuing to be aggressive, push the ball down the field, hit big plays. And they have had to run the ball a little bit more uh, the last couple of weeks or tried to run the ball a little bit more in short yardage situations. That hasn't worked out as well for them. If you get them in a spot where they have to go push the ball down the field at tempo in the pass game, they're honestly probably more comfortable in that than trying to salt away a game with a big lead. You know, if they get up by two scores and they have to run the ball, their guards are just okay. They're not great. Their interior on the offensive line is very inexperienced. The offensive line as a unit is very inexperienced playing together that hurts them and that hurts that unit and by extension it hurts the offense when you try to run between the tackles you try the power run stuff a lot of times it just doesn't work the way you need it to when you're trying to get three yards on third down or even two or three yards on second down you might not get it and that means they're going to at some point I have to believe try to throw the ball down the field, and try to be effective in the pass game. And conversely, how much do you break out recon here if you're Billy Taylor? Because you know, on the one hand, they want to throw the ball. They like to throw the ball. They're effective throwing the ball. So maybe you want some smaller, faster guys out there to help you in coverage. But at the same time, you put recon out there, you leave a light box for them to try to run against, which increases the chance of them being effective at something that they're not traditionally all that effective at. So there's a risk reward there for the defense for ETSU as well. You got any more on the game? No. Watch out for trick plays. Fake Western will do that, Keith. I've got to make that in. I'll figure out doing the song. There you go. Keith didn't like my song. I, I will say, it was good effort. Yeah. Um, like a late field goal when you need a touchdown, that is a head-scratching decision that you just made. All right. And, I have, and Western Carolina has done that. They have made some very unusual kick-go decisions this year that have cost them opportunities to win games. Yes. We'll yes, see they if they will do that and be successful. They've not had all of – they've had uh, – they had the awkward completion for no reason. It picked up six yards and they missed the field goal right before half. Then they faked a punt against the Citadel right before the half and they gave up a quick score, which made no sense. So there's a couple things there. They have done some offensive trick plays that has worked um, – ETSU will have to be on its toes for sure. All right, other Southern Conference games that were or involving Southern Conference teams we're not going to talk about. Virginia Lynchburg's at the Citadel. 
Citadel needs to get a win sometime, so there it is. VMI, <laughs> Wofford. Uh, I mean, Wofford's probably going to win, although Seth Morgan's back, so maybe that could be a little more entertaining. Corey Britty had a monster day running last time, so we'll see how that goes. And then the two big ones. Uh, it's Sanford at Chattanooga and then Furman at Mercer. The first one, because it's going to start earlier, Sanford, Chattanooga. It's the undefeated Bulldogs in league play versus Chattanooga had the loss last week against Furman. A limb forward, or it's two weeks ago, I guess, Chat lost to Furman because Chat beat Citadel last week. But a limb forward was back. He looked, to me, 80%, but he was still pretty darn good to be 80%. And I think if a limb forward goes, they're able to pound the football, hold on to the rock. I think this bodes well for Chattanooga as I continue to flip-flop on uh, teams I pick or whatever. Uh, I've been fairly good at reading these games. This is a very good matchup for Chattanooga because what they can do and get pressure with three or four guys, they don't have to send too many. They've got speed everywhere at the linebacker and corner and safety positions. I think this is a good matchup for Chattanooga, who is kind of backs against the wall, spitting nails. I think they'll come out all cylinders. It'll be a. Uh, I think Michael Hires will have some numbers. But I think this will be a low-scoring affair in which the other team besides Sanford will probably win. You can hurry the ball out, but against this offense, how much does that necessarily matter? If you don't get hires on the ground, I don't know how much the pressure that you get on the quarterback actually makes a lasting impact on a play or generates a negative play because this offense is reliant on short timing routes anyway and is more than willing to take those under the the, the challenge here for Chattanooga to me is one can you run the ball effectively against an improved Sanford run defense I think they can the other thing is can your defensive backs can your safeties keep this offense in front of them enough to give you one or two opportunities, one or two stops to get them behind schedule, to get into a position where Hires does actually have to sit in the pocket and hit the end of a drop back, a longer drop back, to get the ball out, to give Person and Maxwell an opportunity to get home and to make contact with the quarterback. Because I don't think... Just winning your matchup against your offensive lineman, your one-on-one or your double team or whatever, I don't think that's enough. Sanford's offense is designed knowing that somebody's going to be one-on-one, somebody's going to lose, we need to get the ball out fast. And they can adjust to that. And that's where the challenge lies for Chattanooga. I do agree with you in principle that I think this is a good matchup for Chat. But there are opportunities here where if they aren't lining guys up uh, in in the in the short pass game, uh, if they aren't able to run the football effectively against a Sanford defense that's priding itself on being better against the run this year, if you can't do those things, if you fail to do those things, there is an opening for the Bulldogs to win the football game. And I don't think it is anywhere close to open and shut. Does the matchup favor Chattanooga? Yes. Does the matchup favor Chattanooga decisively? 
in years past, I would have said yes, but this is a different Sanford team, clearly, uh, and I think the Bulldogs do have a viable chance of going into Finley and winning this football game. They're battle-tested, no doubt about that. Um, so I think Sanford does have a little bit of that going for them. I think Chat, and again, you know, I, just like I had Mercer having trouble because of the big game the week before, and I had Chat having trouble because the big game the week – None of that plays into effect here. So that's sort of my thought process. Chattanooga's now got more time to go. They've got a limb forward. If a limb forward is more towards 100% this week, I like the fact of the ground game. You know, Hutchinson's got just enough, you know, kind of run pass in him that I think he could be a little bit of a matchup problem on the back end for Sanford. Sanford's defense still, other than the – ETSU lighting them up. They've still been fairly good, um, one of the tops in the league. So I think it's going to be good on good, and I think the offensive and defensive lines are going to dictate maybe this game more than all the skill position people involved, which is probably an unpopular take of anybody to have because there's so many skill positions on defense and offense for both squads, and. I just feel like whoever kind of can control that line of scrimmage because if Chattanooga can impose its will and pick up a couple hundred yards in rushing, it's going to be a long day for Sanford. If Sanford's defensive line or defensive front can sort of contain that, and then also, again, they have a ground game more this year. It's not about throwing 85 passes. Mm -hmm. And if they can pick up big chunk plays with a couple talented running backs because they can be more balanced this year where in years past this always favored Chattanooga because Sanford had no run game. They were only chunking and throwing, and Chattanooga could just pin their ears back and go and force turnovers and dominate. But Sanford has its best chance to go in and win at Chattanooga this year because of the balance. And so I agree. I don't think this is this is going to be a runaway game one way or another. I think this is going to be like a, a 28-25 or 23, some weird score you know, uh, 26-23. I think it's going to be something in the 20s. Both teams get in the 20s. It could be a field goal kick here or there, special teams play, turnover, something or other. But I feel like, to me, it's the who can, specifically offensive line, impose a little bit more will in the run game. And now Chattanooga is obviously more dependent on the run, but they can throw it. They can certainly get a quarterback run play. Hires can throw it no issue there he's got receivers left and right if they get some of their run game going so that's where I think the game for me is going to come down to because if there's holes for the running backs easy game if it's holes uh, not necessarily for the running backs but if the line holds up and they can sit there and pick defenses apart throwing the football obviously that changes things too so and Sanford plays a lot of that cover three will they try to do what they did against CTSU, which was stay back in cover three, and the Bucks were able to pick up big chunk plays running the football. If they do that against Chattanooga, I think that's a bad recipe. I think they're going to have to at some point walk the safety down and try to get that extra third safety in the box. And then they can still go cover three and just rotate a cornerback or whatever mm-hmm. they need to do there. But I feel like they're going to have to commit another guy in the box because if they do sort of the same game plan against ETSU, I think Chattanooga's going to have a field day. That being said, I think they're smart enough to recognize that and the flaw from the ETSU game, that they'll make that adjustment. But to me, it's offensive lines. That's who's going to determine this game. Absolutely. 
Furman Mercer. I, this one for me, I think this is a good matchup for the Mercer Bears. Um, I think this also has the potential to be – this would be in the 30s, though. I think this has a chance to be a 34-30, 34-31, 35-31, something like that. I feel like that is a where I see this game going. I think Devron Harper's had a couple of games where he's not been just as dynamic. I think he gets loose in this one. also think Furman's going to be able to run the football a little bit in this one. Tyler Huff has got another week off to try to get healthy. If he's healthy, I think that changes the dynamic of the Furman Paladin attack. Furman's running high off the win against Chattanooga. But I also think that Mercer kind of licking their wounds against Chat's been able to regroup. And I think Mercer in a nail-biter. I, uh, but I think Devron Harper's going to have a big day. I think a couple, two, three touchdowns for him. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to offer a whole lot of analysis on this because we're over half an hour at this point and we need to do the pick six and talk about basketball. Well, let's just be... Let's just pick it. The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. It's the pick six. Pick that up all by yourself. Okay. Six games, plus an extra point, plus a, a, a touchdown or more underdog. So, current records, I am 12 and 12. Jay has successfully connected on one extra point and is 13 and 12. Boom. 50-yard line. I love to start out with a Sickos game. Let's start out with some Thursday night Sickos football. Georgia Southern at Louisiana. Oh, well, it's kind of fitting since we'll see Louisiana in basketball maybe this weekend. But yeah, Very possible. Uh, boy, this is a... Uh, I have been good and bad on Georgia Southern games. I've had a very, very, very bad take on one uh, that went awry, and I had a very, very good one uh, that went my way. That being said, I have zero idea what to expect from Georgia Southern on the road. Louisiana laid an egg at the Southern Miss. Um, yes. They've seemed to recover very from much that. so. I think um, since Georgia Southern has joined the Sun Belt, Louisiana's kind of had their number. Uh, whenever they played each other. Uh, so, to me, I think, it's again, it's all about matchups. Sometimes it's about matchups. Sometimes it's about teams that have other teams' numbers. So, for me, I'm going to take Louisiana over the former Southern Conference rival, Georgia Southern. I'm going to take the Eagles. Um, I don't understand what's happening with the Raging Cajuns right now. I just know that it's not good. This is going to be a tight game. It's fourth quarter game. But Georgia Southern is going to get the win and beginning to wonder if uh, Louisiana wins another game this year because they got Florida State next. And then by that point, you're beat up, you're tired, you got Texas State last, you're on the road. And uh, what do you what do you do? What do you do at that point? So you're taking Louisiana. I'm taking Gasso. Did they call them? Do you call them? Georgia Nobody Southern? says that. No. And again, it's sitting your, your, your father's Georgia Southern team. They're chunking the ball over the field. So, yeah. Uh, it's Clay Helton's team. Yeah, uh, forty he's not yard my father. He's not no, my father. he's not okay. my father either. Forty yard line. This is one that I'm very intrigued to watch. Eastern Kentucky at Jacksonville State. This is a potential game for the Colonels to sneak into the bubble conversation, as they are maybe possibly in a position to be favored in the power ranking. 
the nebulous power ranking thing that the A-Sun, the Wax Sun is using for its automatic qualifier. Uh, they they face a pretty tough Jacksonville State team. Jacksonville State has had a couple of losses where you go, ah, those might be some interesting bubble teams. And I think Eastern Kentucky is another team that has the potential to be an interesting bubble team. Jay, what do you got? Well, I think the one thing, the, the way that Jacksonville State started the year, especially that Stephen F. Austin game where they just flat out waxed them on national television, I thought mm-hmm. was a great start. Lost at Tulsa, got hammered. Chalk that up to whatever. But then the loss at Sella by a lot, I think, kind of threw me a little pause on Jacksonville State. And then, you know, Eastern Kentucky, you look at uh, a hard-fought loss at Eastern Michigan. Then they win that weird 8-9-7 overtime game against yep. Bowling Green. Then they lose at Austin P, who the Bucks will see next year. And then they lose uh, at home to Sam Houston. Then they kind of rattle off wins they should. So it's hard for me to kind of handicap Eastern Kentucky because and Jacksonville State because both started off I thought really well mm-hmm. and were impressive in things and then as the season has gone along they've just kind of peeled back again I know Eastern Kentucky's kind of they rolled North Alabama which they should you know they tight game with SEMO Central Arkansas they throttled you know but you look at Jacksonville State the loss to Sella by 17 is a little confusing but they did beat Austin P they did beat North Alabama as well they beat Kennesaw North anyway that being said, this is a bit of a toss-up for me because I don't have – usually you – when you say the names, I usually have a gut feeling immediately. Mm-hmm. I did not have that in this one. So, I hate Rich Rod, so I'm going to go against Rich Rod, East Kentucky. How do you like t- that breakdown? I'm taking the Colonels as well. Uh, Parker McKinney's playing great right now. They've gotten him right. The, the, he's finally stopped turning the ball over. And uh, they've really gotten into a rhythm offensively. So I think Eastern Kentucky is going to go on the road and get the dub and uh, complicate the bubble picture. Speaking of complicating the at-large picture, one of these teams could end up on the bubble with a loss. Richmond at Delaware as the 30-yard line of the pick six. Yeah, you know, there's, there's two good Southern Conference games. There's two good CAA games as far as national attention and seeding possible and playoffs and bubbles and all that good fun stuff and you know Richmond the loss really to Elon at the time and that's really when Elon was rolling because they just won at Bill and Mary then they'd be so I'd kind of given Richmond a little bit of a of a pass on that and last week against New Hampshire was one I was really paying attention to which they did end up picking up a win uh, a touchdown win at home boy you look at Delaware and the biggest monkey wrench there is Elon. I know Bill and Mary's fighting for some stuff, but Elon continues to win big games and then has a head scratcher here and there. For Delaware, gosh, it really just seems like the offense churns out a lot of points, and it depends on what their defense does. And to me, can the defense slow down a Richmond Spider team in which is – made to be high octane they want to get 30 40 points it's again it's the same oc that was at vmi for scott walkenheim they've got a bunch of vmi guys they want to chunk it around the field can delaware slow down richmond and the short answer for me because we're running out of time is i don't think so i'm going to take the road spiders in this one i'm taking the fight in blue hens Udinsky's banged up he got hurt against rhode island and they're not 100% sure that he's going to be 100%. I don't think he's going to be 100%. Uh, and that's going to impact 
their ability, his ability to get the get the extend plays and buy time he needs to get the ball down the field and be explosive. Uh, I'm going to take Delaware here. I do think they can limit this offense when their quarterback is limited. So 20 yard line. This game potentially could throw a spanner in the works of SoCon teams trying to get an at-large, like a Furman or a Mercer. Northwestern State at Southeastern Louisiana. The winner is in the Catbird seat for the Southland Conference automatic bid. Well, Northwestern State is an interesting story, right? They got five losses, none of them in league. They've got four wins. Obviously, all of them in league. Yes. So I think that's the and you know they also have their two toughest games remaining though they're playing yes. SLU and, and then they're Carnet playing Word. Incarnate Word. Yeah. Then and which is the two best tests and I thought maybe Commerce would give them a little better game last week. I still thought it's a winnable game for Northwestern State, but if you would have asked me to pick that last week, I may have actually gone with Commerce and then they just got throttled by Northwestern State. I really, really want to pick. Northwestern State because again I've said it before a good buddy worked here at ETSU for four years with me was Kevin Boston I still talk to him all the time he got the AD job over the summer yep congratulations to him it'd be a great story it'd be a great feather in the cap I want to pick and pull for my guy but I cannot I do not see how Northwestern State is going to be able to go on the road and win and part of the SoCon in me doesn't want them to win Sorry, Kevin. I'm not going the Demons. Yeah, I'm going with the Lions, too. I think this is a blowout, honestly. Uh, this is the best team that they've faced. Um, well, it's not the best team. The best team they face is SEMO, and SEMO beat the brakes off of them at their place in Natchitoches. So I'm looking at this and saying Southeastern flexes its muscle. Southeastern shuts me up about their, well, they might not get in. They might not get in because it's not going to matter because they're going to boat race Northwestern and then they're going to boat race Nichols next week and they're going to win the conference. That's what's going to happen. 10-yard line, Sanford at Chattanooga. I think you're no, you know, I know where you're going with this. I think you know where you want to go with this, so let's do it quick. Chattanooga. I'm going Chattanooga, too. That's about as depressing as I could say it. Um... Goal line, Furman at Mercer. Mercer. It's Mercer in a big game, Jay. I mean, this is this is a big game, right? You talked about this. like you, you talked about Mercer in big games. Don't take Mercer in big games. You are defying your own ethos here. I just want to make sure. Do I need to see a doctor for that? What is Right? What? Uh, yeah, de- defying ethos? Um, I don't know. That's up to you. Probably not. Uh, yeah. I mean, you see a doctor for everything else. So That's fair. Um, I haven't made up my mind yet on this one, which is tough because I make the list every week. Yes, and you don't <laughs> you don't give me a heads up too. I don't, I don't give you a heads up either. Um, I think Mercer's a more complete team. I think Furman's better up front, but Mercer is a more complete team, and they are the team that can give Furman the kind of game that will give them fits for a full sixty minutes. So I'm going to take the Bears as well. We go down. We go down on this together. Really seems like we're going to know a lot about how the pick six goes uh, tonight. How about an extra point? Give me a dog. Give me a big dog that you think is going to get a win. Doesn't hurt you if you get it wrong, but it helps you if you get it right. Yeah, I was thinking about TCU because, you know, fourth ranked team in the country, ranked in the 
top four of the playoffs and they're catching a full touchdown at Texas. But then it's something about do you, do you really take the fourth-ranked team in the country? Can you say that? It doesn't sound right to me, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go sorry excuse. That's my nickname for Syracuse <laughs> at home against Florida State over a touchdown dog. I'm going to take the sorry excuse orange man to pick up the victory against the Florida State criminals. As we used to say when I was at Florida. Wow, that's uh, there's a lot to unpack there. There is a. You don't lot. have enough time to do it though. So. I do not have enough time to unpack all of that. Uh, I am going to take. Uh, oh God, I'm looking at my list. I have three or four. Give me. Usually HBCUs are, are, are fertile ground. Like the SWAC is fertile ground for these sorts of upsets. Give me Abilene Christian over Sam Houston in Huntsville. Mm, I looked at that game earlier. That's a yeah. Game. So I'm taking I'm taking uh, ACU and you're taking Q's. When the beat drop. Where the beat drop. How the beat drop. All right, let's talk a little ETSU men's basketball, and we will do so uh, in short spurts here. But there is a tournament over in Asheville. There's four teams. It is ETSU versus former Southern Conference foe, the Fighting Phoenix of Elon. And there's Louisiana Raging Cajuns versus the Crimson of Harvard. Harvard. I don't know if you're supposed Ugh, to say it like that or not, but Harvard. Harvard. No, you say it Harvard. Harvard. That's it's fair. Harvard. It's Boston. It's Boston. It's Boston. A little coffee in your car. A little coffee. Yeah, yeah. it happens. Do you walk to park? Uh, actually, I feel bad because uh, we did the tour of Yale and Harvard uh, over the summer. Uh-huh. And the boys have some Harvard sweatshirts. And my wife's like, well, maybe wear your tissue the first game. Or Harvard. I said, no. No, we no, will not. We will not do that. We will not do that. We will not do we that. Will not do that. Uh, they do recruit all 50 states, though. I had a, uh, a friend up in North Dakota that got recruited to go to, or he got interest from, I think it was Yale and Brown. Brown's a nice campus. It's like right in the middle of Providence. Um, and you don't really need to go anywhere else nor want to because Providence's streets are very narrow and windy because it's an old colonial city. It was all right. It was the right time. I don't think it's I don't think it's what uh, have it is, but we get to some chicken nuggies and chalky milk. Well, the interesting thing I had to take a double take because the new head coach of the Elon Phoenix is Billy Taylor. What? It, uh, it, it, new? it is not the same one, for those of you checking. <laughs> he has not switched sports, even though I'm sure he wanted to over the last couple games. He has not switched sports. But uh, Billy Taylor, who used to play at Notre Dame for Digger Phelps, is taking over the reins oh, at yeah. Elon. They've got a local kid, Gate City. Zach Irvin still on the squad there at Elon. Uh, they open up against the 91, so you know they've got some transfers like everybody else. It's... Hard to really tell, I think, for ETSU last game, or at least the first couple games exhibition in the first game. Seems like they got post-play this year. That mm-hmm. is a game-changer. Uh, if Justice Smith can do that against Division One teams, I think that changes things because felt pretty good about the first seven, as we talked about. I didn't know who's going to be the eighth guy. Was it Christian Shaw? Is it uh, Jamarius Harrison? Was it going to be Justice Smith? Well, if it's Justice Smith, and I will say this, I think Shaw showed – Pretty good uh, IQ, smarts, play within yourself in the first game. 
not so much there in the second game, but the same token, I think Jamarius Harrison played kind of solid in both but didn't stand out. And then Justice Smith, I don't think, played particularly well the first one, set out second one. So, mm-hmm. all that to say, if two of the three can kind of figure it out, or if all three figure it out, great, you got a 10-man rotation, which Coach would love to do because if you talk to him, that's what he would prefer to do. Yep. I – feel like they definitely need at least eight and nine as opposed to seven i'm sure coach oliver does too so this will go a long way the friday night game against elon to kind to figure kind of that out and then depending on win loss you play either louisiana and harvard harvard and tommy amaker you know i think they're living off eight nine years ago where they had three consecutive years of winning a game or two in the ncaa tournament and getting to the you know second weekend once, at least winning the first round game twice, uh, or at least getting to the round of 32, I should say, twice. Mm-hmm. So they've been able to pick up wins there uh, in the tournament, but it's been like eight years since he's been there. So kind of living on that. For Louisiana, it's a very transfer-heavy team, as you would imagine, but they've got the best pro prospect uh, in the matchup. Jordan Bowen is his name. He was a 6'9", Pac-12 six men of the year at Arizona mm-hmm. and transferred back and was second in the league in the Sun Belt and scoring a year ago. Uh, I think he had like 26 last game. Uh, I'm try to think. I played a non-D1 as well. But anyways, that, that being said, he had 26 on the opener. Uh, he had nine games, 20 or more, like four 30-point outbursts last year. He's a monster inside. Anybody matches up with him, Elon, ETSU, Harvard, it's going to be tough to find somebody to match up with him. So, handicapping things, I think Louisiana's got the edge over Harvard. I think ETSU, Elon's going to be an interesting matchup because getting to play, both teams not played not D1 teams yet. Right. So, hard to, with the new staff and Coach Taylor and what he's trying to do with some new guys in as well as uh, Zach Irvin and a few of the old guard there. And then, of course, for Coach Oliver, how does his guys do? Uh, against maybe bigger-sized post players. So post play, my big thing against Elon, how that work out. And then if they face the Crimson, it's more guard-oriented style of old Princeton-style mm-hmm. offense there. But if they go against Louisiana, go against the best pro prospect in that tournament. And to be honest with you, I don't know that there is a 6'9 pro prospect that we will see again at the mid-major level. Now, I've yet to really break down you know Georgia and LSU and some of these other teams – uh, certainly in the Southern Conference, there's not a 6'9 pro prospect in their league. So it will be interesting. I love the second round game. If ETSU was to play Harvard, hopefully both in the winning brackets because I've called ETSU versus Louisiana Lafayette. I've called ETSU versus Elon. I'm not called a Harvard game. Sometimes it's about me, Keith. It's not about everybody else. <laughs> but I hope ETSU gets in the winner's bracket. If they are, I think they will They will face Louisiana is my take on the tournament. I think there's also an element of I, I'll flip it around. It's like I would like to play a team that I've already played against because I already have a chart made. You don't have to go. I mean, you have you have computer machines and everything that there's like I used to do my charts by hand and I would already have. It's like well, I already have a chart loaded up for this team. Just fire it right up. Couple new names. Sounds great. Let's roll. Um, if you're ETSU. I don't know that the wins and losses are the most important thing this weekend. The most important thing is figuring out exactly what your rotation is going to look like. Kind of like you talked about, we're not going to see Justice Smith score 20 every night. He doesn't have to. If he does it every fourth game, you're ecstatic. You will absolutely, you take it and run. Uh, Jancic, Tipler off the bench, 
How long are those guys off the bench? Are they necessarily the right guys to come off the bench or are they starters at some point? Are they starters? Maybe it's a matchup dependent thing uh, where you just want some more um, uh, beef out there or, or you want a specific type of, of big player, specific type of guard uh, that, that maybe it makes sense to put those guys in the starting lineup. But um, overall, I think you got to identify who fits where, what kind of rotations you get. You want to face a 6'9 pro prospect on the interior because it's going to test your 6'8 guys. It's going to test Taylor. It's going to test Haynes. It's going to test Jancic. Their ability to protect the rim because you would imagine that guy is going to believe that he can attack the rim against anybody that he matches up against at this level. So how do your 6'8 guys handle a guy that's a little bit longer than they are that's going to try to get over the top of them? That's an important point. For me, And then for me, it was always about what does the front court look like? Who are the front court guys that are going to make this go? And are they going to be good enough to get this team over the hump? Because I do believe Jordan King did not have a very good shooting night against Emory and Henry, but he's good for it, right? I mean, you trust that he's good for it. Um, Struthers looked really, really good. If he can hit like two threes a game, all season, phenomenal. Absolutely fantastic. But he's a drive and kick guy primarily. Tipler is a really good shooting option off the bench for you. Smith is a guy that can just bully his way down the lane. It was really fun to watch him just slice down the sides of the lane uh, and, and then kiss it off the glass off the block. It was really, really fun to watch him do that. Uh, and then you've got Taylor and Haynes inside that are really strong going straight up with the ball in hand. They don't waste time. You know, there's no power dribbles, anything like that. It's just straight up with the ball, fight through contact, score it, get to the line, see what happens. Like, do the things that put stress on the other team. Um, so it's going to be an important challenge for them. I, I think these are some good teams that will test the Elon's a little bit of a rebuild, but I think Louisiana and Harvard are both teams that will challenge them uh, in the second game of this uh, this Asheville championship. And we'll learn a lot about the Bucs. And that's all you're trying to do, right? Because in the grand scheme of it, this is not a team that is going to the NCAA tournament on the strength of its non-conference schedule. This is a team that's going to the NCAA tournament because it wins the SOCON tournament. And as long as these games are in service of your eventual return, your triumphant return to Asheville, then whatever happens, happens. But also, I think they have a very good chance of coming away with a couple wins this weekend. It's prediction time. Yes, prediction. Something big. Bold. Sometimes right. I can see the future. Most times wrong. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope. Never dull. I'm trying to write all this down. This is shocking. Was that bold enough? This is bold prediction. Prediction? Pain. I've still got to go back and add up. I, I keep saying every week. I don't remember what was your first week. Did you do the uh, – what did you do? I got to figure out. All right, I got to figure out. I think out I when... said – I think my first week was Fred Payton won't throw an interception in October. Oh, it was. Okay, there we go. Here, you keep talking. I'll add that one, two, Okay, three, I will continue to talk. I will continue to add bold predictions. One I have eight, bold one predictions. <laughs> I have plenty of them. I have a cornucopia of bold predictions. Would you like – my bold predictions now or would you like me to continue to talk and delay while you do math you know i'm not good at math no i know you're not good at math no you're terrible at math i've seen you try to calculate percentages it doesn't go well 11 
12. All right, you're two and 12 with one still out there. Yep, that's Seattle. Two and yes, two and 12. I am seven and 21. Been on a hot streak, baby. I've gone two and one the last two weeks. Turn it around. All right. That's All right. It. I'm ready. You ready? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the old-fashioned parlay here, if you will. Okay. ETSU defense will force two turnovers, and Jacob Sailors will have three touchdowns on the day. Got to hit both. Yes. I don't know if it's bold to say three touchdowns for Sailors against Western because he's done that on a couple occasions. If and they're all rushing, I believe he would tie the school record, right? Because he's got 14 right now. Rushing touchdowns, yes. Yeah, so if it's three so. rushing touchdowns, he would tie Quay and, and Searcy for the record. Yes, so I'm going for the two turnovers force because that is a team that turns it over lots. So I don't know how bold that is, even though ETSU hasn't turned anybody over the last two weeks. So mm-hmm. I feel like if I do both, it makes it bold. Ten points for Tyler Keltner this weekend. That can be some combination of field goals and extra points. If it's ten extra points, then uh, ETSU had a great day. And maybe I think it's more likely it's a couple field goals and a few extra points. I think ETSU is going to be very busy offensively, though, and that's going to mean a lot of work for Keltner. Ten points for the ETSU place kicker. Uh, Men's hoops wins two this weekend. I like it. ETSU two. I don't know who they beat. And I don't care who they beat. They're well, one of them would have to be Elon. I can give you the first one. Yes, they're no, going to beat Elon, and then they're going to beat whoever they play in the next game. Uh, my third well, – you got go ahead. Go I was, was going to – I'm going to – Serpentine. I'm going to have you stare at the microphone because I am going to go UC Davis on the road with a win over Idaho. Okay. All right. Ooh, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a it's, – it's bold – but I don't think it's it's insane, right? It's it's bold. It's it's not insane. Um, how about how about the here's you know what? Since you did a parlay, I'm going to put an extra take out there and potentially take the risk of an additional L. So I have two separate takes. Jack Eichel will not score against Buffalo tonight, and the Bills will beat the Vikings with or without Josh Allen. I'm trying to write the all the caveats there. All the caveats. Well, it's just it, there. It's two of them. It's two, it's just two. Jack Eichel will not score against Buffalo tonight mm-hmm. for Vegas. They play the Sabers tonight. Uh, honestly, I think the Sabers might win that game. But Vegas is blistering hot, so it's tough to just sit here and say, "Give me this. Give me the Sabers outright." Uh, although I would love more Tage Thompson goals because um, I'm a fan of the nitty gritty dirt band. So, and then I think the Vikings are. Not as good as their record. But the Bills are a well-constructed team, and they will beat the Vikings, even if Allen isn't 100%. Well, I'm going to take Nova on the road at Bill & Mary. See, that you were going for bold. That's just... Ah, uh, no. I can't go there with you. I can't see it. I can't go there with you. Stop looking at me like that. You're not going to give me the pick. No, I mean, you can do it. I just think you're wrong. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to be wrong. You're bold. Yeah. I thought you were upset because you felt like that was too easy of a game. We're trying to get too easy. Try to go with what people, you know, obviously no favorites. Try to pick If I off. give you three-foot gimmies, you might actually make par on the golf course. That's fair. Every single one. Hey, Jane Keith, next week. Oh, you got to be kidding me.